Hello, wonderful humans. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple Well Network. And if you could take seven seconds out of your day and do me a big favor, jump over to the Shopify App Store. We just launched our Founders Dash and we would love a review from you. Thanks so much for being so awesome. Enjoy the show. I had more knowledge, more resources, more everything, but I still wasn't able to make those work. Like that was very interesting. But at the same time, like this first company that I started, it had a cap potential. So kind of touching back way back on the longevity or like trying to pursue an idea for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't think all ideas can necessarily be pursued for that long. If you come across that idea or you come across that business that has the potential to, if it, if it has the, I guess the TAM, to be something massive, and that's what you want to build, then you devote your life to it. But if the total TAM is maybe 10 million, 15 million, if you want to build something special, but you're in the wrong vehicle to get there, even if you got lucky to get that idea or like you, the right timing hit for that idea and you built something special, like it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the massive company or something that is a vehicle that can get you to the moon if, that's, if the moon is where you're trying to go. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of You Are Not Your ROAS. And we have a screamer for you today. Um, Philip and I met, I forgot how we met. We, we connected through, I think, a lot of the work that you were doing over at Workspace 6. I've, I've been really inundated with that. It's, it's one of the top communities, if not the top community for me. And I find community building just not only insanely hard, but when done well, I, I just love to talk to those people. And then uh, we got on some calls a, a while back and you just have a crazy story. So I, I wanted to bring uh, bring you on and spread the Philip Page's gospel far and wide. So Philip, welcome to the show. Dude, man, I appreciate it. I, I think the first time, I don't think we actually met, but I went to the Triple Will event that you, Colin, Tommy, Alexa, kind of that crew were running in, in Austin. I was new to Austin. I think I was at a shaved head at the time. And I just, I kind of came in and you were, you were this like super cool dude. As soon as you walked in, everyone was just like surrounding you. And I didn't get a chance to talk to you because you were just like bouncing from group to group to group. And like, you were like the center of the action. I was like, this dude is, this, this guy's cool. And then from there, we kind of connected over Twitter. And then I think we kind of hopped on calls, but I knew of you. I was around you. I was adjacent to you. And then we finally met. And it's been, it's been awesome ever since so it's been cool i think that's the first time somebody's beat my intro i feel all pumped up i'm gonna have to walk through doorways sideways that was, that was very kind of you <laughs> so yeah you recently uh moved to austin and now you're uh almost a neighbor right downtown uh but where were you before give us i guess where were you before and then give us kind of the journey of like baby philip to proper crusher philip now yeah so i was actually born in miami both my parents immigrated from their respective countries. My mom came from the Czech Republic. My dad came from Cuba. So I'm actually kind of a first-generation American, and That's I have a cool mix. We'll get more into it, but yeah, it's a very it's a very strange mix. And and they met in Miami, so I lived there for about ten years. Started my first like business there, and then moved over to Dallas. Lived there for a while. Started my main company that I run, and then moved to da uh, Austin maybe about like a year and a half ago. But as far as like the, the origin story, if you will, I started my first business when I was six or seven. We had a bunch of coconut trees around. Yeah, it was like, it's like, <laughs> here's the thing. Like my dad was running his own consulting company and I was always looking up to him and seeing like, oh damn, this guy, like I want to run my own business. So I knew from a very early age that like, that's what I wanted to do. And we, for whatever reason in, in our Miami house, we had a bunch of coconut trees just like outlining the property. And my older brother and I were just like, okay, how can we make money? So we just cut the coconuts off the trees. And at first we dredged, like we put them out front in front of our yard and tried to sell them there. Nobody wants to buy coconuts in Miami. Like coconuts are just like a weed there. Like you don't, you don't want them. So we found a guy, like my dad helped us find a guy in uh, like Little Havana that was buying coconuts for us from 20, for 25 cents. And then would go up to New York and sell them for like five, $6. So he was like making the real money. But I mean, for my brother and myself, like we'd go in and we'd get two, 300 coconuts make however much money that is and we're like oh this is this is amazing because we're seven eight nine ten like that was my first business and then i don't remember what happened to it but something happened and just like it just it ceased to exist so it's like i went from like nothing 
to a business to bankruptcy by the time I was like seven. So, so then from there, I did. <laughs> we were on the, the entrepreneurial roller coaster from like early, early, early. Just the highs and the lows, the the depths of despair to the the highest. But anyway, then from there, um, lemonade stands, car washes, that sort of thing. When I was twelve, I got really, really into stock trading, and at I don't 12. know what it was. Yeah, I bought my first stock at uh, at twelve. It was a penny stock. I think the the ticker was N E W N Noonan. Had something to do with gold. I was like, oh, gold is cool. This is a penny stock. I saw it like doubling. I was like, I'm gonna buy this. Lost all my money. Like course, all my money was just do. fucking gone. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, this is cool. Like I got the I got the itch for that. Like really, my first love was finance. I thought I was gonna grow up go into stocks, go into investing, go into Wall Street. And so from 12 to around 17, I was pretty into that. I was reading all the books, Market Wizards, kind of the, all of the, all of the books. Wall Street. I was, yeah, no, I was, I was really into like technical analysis. There's like the fundamental analysis crowd and the technical analysis crowd. And I don't know, I I just resonated with technical analysis because I like pictures and I don't like reading reports or anything. So I I may not have been the best strategy, but that was like what I was really into. So I went into that and from 12 to 17 that's kind of what i was into and at a certain point i wanted to become a day trader and you need like twenty five thousand dollars under management at the time to trade without like limitations because this was before robin hood this was before like commission-free trading and you needed twenty five thousand dollars to be considered like a day trader and have unlimited trade potential so i actually ended up starting a company to try and fund my my stock trading habit or just obsession and lo and behold that company took off and at a certain point i was like okay it doesn't make sense to go back into stock trading if this thing has some wheels and long story short of that it, it grew seven years later still running it started it with 188 dollars at its peak it was doing about 3.4 million a year um not nothing we can dive into it but peak peak in uh 2020 2021 is is not where we're at now so um that's been that's been its own roller coaster as well um made a lot of mistakes with that brand that i'm sure we'll dive into in that process started a, a post-purchase survey SaaS company, sold that for not, not, nothing a huge amount, but sold that within a year, um, learned a lot from that process and kind of got know obsessed. That. Yeah, yeah. That's got obsessed awesome. with like the recurring revenue side of things. And then also through that, Spurn kind of like spawned the the Workspace 6, which is now, we'll dive into that, I'm sure as well with my co-founder, Sam, and that's kind of just become an animal in and of itself. So that's kind of the long-winded answer of how we got here. What a wild journey. Oh my gosh. So, uh, so many things there. One, I can totally relate. Uh, So my dad's Algerian and my mom's Mexican. So we we both have this uh, really weird mix. Uh, And then also, uh, so I just went to Europe for 30 days. It was amazing. But uh, Prague was actually one of my favorite city. No yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It's in the EU, but not on the Euro. They're still on funny money. So it's like it was this perfect like economic arbitrage, but the the city was stunning. I was I was really impressed with it. Budapest, Prague and Vienna were kind of uh probably my three favorite cities out of the whole the whole thing. So that's amazing. I can't that's so crazy. You got started so early. That's amazing. So how did you start? Did you just attack or was there like a plan of attack or you just kind of figured it out as you went? Or were there books, frameworks or anything that kind of help you build this foundation because on the surface it sounds easy but like once you get into stuff there's always something with the business and it, it, it's give me some color there like it, or were you just kind of freewheeling and just figuring it out day by day yeah so so as far as the e-com company that i started in high school that one was really i was i was part of so for me communities have always been a very huge part of my success, I'd say. Just being able to interact with people, talk to people, and really, really get obsessive. So I was a part of a community called the Fastlane Forum. I don't know if it's still around, but like that was my the, my first foray into community. And they just had a lot of in, like really valuable resources. There was like a 70-page a thread. And I remember just going in and reading everything based off of like how to start e-commerce, how to get into it, what do you need to look for as far as your first products, like all these different things. And there was just like a lot of free materials and courses online that I was looking at. I didn't pay for a course, um, but I was just like, I was just obsessed with finding the right product. And I remember I, lo- I basically locked myself in the room, in my room for, for a month. So much so that my family started referring to me as like the troll. So I would never come out. I would just sit <laughs> in my room for like 
six, seven hours a day and just do product research. I was just like looking, looking, looking. And I finally found the first thing that I was like, okay, this is kind of, this This looks promising. And put in an order for $188, got 20 units, put them on eBay. And then within a day had sold my first three. And I was like, Shit, there's this, like once you hear that first cha-ching, I still have the screenshot of it on my phone. Like, damn, like once that, that, is just so addicting that just hooks you and from there it was just it just kind of spiraled and kept on growing and growing and like the the next order went from 188 dollars to 400 to 800 to 1600 just like doubling 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 and yeah man it was a. Uh, I feel like that during the time it was stressful and like, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? But like looking back, that was such kind of a magical time just because like, I don't know. It's just like the first money you make online is just, there's something super, super special about it for sure. All right. I couldn't agree with you more that there's a, a great book, Thinking Fast and Slow by a guy named Daniel Kahneman. Awesome, awesome guy, a behavioral economist, just one of my favorite humans, just an incredible muse. Um, but anyways, in that book, he has uh, a bifurcation of essentially the human psyche. And this is obviously oversimplified, but he has the experiencing self and the rem- remembering self. And it just really reminds me of that because I, I've had this same things like in triple whale where i was just like oh my gosh it was so stressful as cmo but now that i've like the fog of war has cleared i was like you know some of the most fulfilling like time of my life and i think there's that there's a weird connection between the proof of work like the hardness of the proof of work and the feeling of accomplishment i think they're positively correlated like it's almost like to again oversimplify like climbing a mountain climbing a mountain is really hard and when you're doing it it sucks and it's cold and you're cutting up your hands etc etc but when you come back down the mountain you look back Dude, I fucked climb that thing there that like that feeling and it's uh I, I think business is like that and i think it's really helpful it's almost that motivation which is very fickle is so important though like having that why because there's there's always some, even in simple businesses man there's always something and so that's really cool that you can kindled that at such a young age because i was a menace when i was young dude i, I mean i didn't <laughs> i was just such a chaotic person and so it's it's really interesting to see that you were so sophisticated at such a, a young age um, um, are you still in the market? You still have because I I also wanted to be an investment banker. I didn't realize there was so much overlap here. But um, are you still playing around the market, dude? I've lost so much money. <laughs> I got took. I got took as well. Yeah, yeah it's it's rough, man. Because I, I still have that itch, but I've I've definitely transitioned from like the day trading mindset to a longer term view. Like that's the that's one thing I've become super obsessive about. Like I was, I've I've been reading a lot about or watching a lot of like Formos, Alex Formosi videos and kind of just understanding like Buffett style, like where people are essentially dedicating their lives or dedicating 20, 30 years to one endeavor. And then like, what can you do when you really focus on one thing and just let it grow and compound and scale? Like, it's just so interesting because the current culture, the current zeitgeist is just the the venture backed raise X amount of dollars, try and scale it, blitz scale, five year, seven year exit, and then you're set for life. It's like, yes, that's great, but what happens if you go the other direction and you build something that has just like lasting potential and can, so you can just build and build and build and just year after year after year, brick by brick, what can happen and how, what kind of company can you build? That's what I've become really obsessed with. And that same mindset, I think, is also applied to investing less about like the quick wins, just like the instant gratification, but more so about how can we create something that lasts, that compounds. Compounding interest is just, I'm, I'm obsessed with it right now. It's just super, super interesting. Compounding interest in life compounding interest in, in money, in business, just all the things that when you focus on one thing, just letting it build over time. So no, I think that's a beautiful outlook. And I think there has been a bit of a perversion in that because delayed gratification for a really long time wasn't rewarded. Like if I could give you some random idea, build some sort of hype machine that candidly wasn't a business, it was just, um, you know, and again, I don't have any issue with VC. I think it's totally fine, but it's a bit of a, what do they call greater fool theory? Where it's like, if you look at how people raise money, dude, it's basically like that you'll get in and then you basically just keep selling to bigger and bigger funds. And then the whole idea is you get it to some semblance of an IPO and then you can push the all this nonsense on retail investors in the public market. Everybody gets paid. And then who really cares at that point? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Uber is a perfect example. To be fair, uh, Dara's done a great job over there. And I think they actually this last quarter or their last quarterly earnings, they did turn a profit, which 
which was, in my opinion, incredible. But I mean, for the longest time, it was an atrocious business. Nobody wanted to touch this business. And but at the IPO, it's probably the they made the most billionaires ever during that IPO. Like, and so again, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think the way you're thinking of it is is absolutely right. And there's a one of the biggest tenets because I I did the same thing. Like, I was trading options during the pandemic and stuff. Like, it was so like psychologically taxing, and I was like, dude, I can make way more money with way less stress in a more fun way than than what I'm doing here and like constantly worrying about it. Like every move in the market, I was watching. I was like, dude. And the dirty little secret that I found out was like all my wealthy friends, yes, they have money in the market, but almost all wealth is generated through dirt. They buy real estate, not only because real estate is incredibly tax advantaged, but it's so much less volatile or it's like the, it's collateralized debt. So you have actually a thing behind it. Anyways, I, I, I just love the idea that you talked about with delayed gratification. I think if there is one skill that I could master and I'm still trying to work on mastering is delayed gratification because not only is delayed gratification awesome, but it also kind of is a function of that compounding effect that you see because you're you're not constantly shiny object syndrome. And there's a, a great Russian proverb, the hunter that chases two rabbits catches none. And I really think that like focus is focus and delayed gratification are two things that candidly are are what make great businesses as well. I like I think AI has it's a little bit of lukewarm slash hot take has been a bit of a head fake for a lot of companies where it's like it's it's cool and like but now once you really dig into it, like it's kind of out of its honeymoon phase and you're like, well it's quasi helpful. Like it, it can do some cool riding stuff. It can do like mid journeys really mind blowing. But outside of that, unless you have a really awesome data set that you're kind of linking up, blah blah blah. I have yet to see that kind of really and I think it's going to come, but that life changing thing. And so I think a lot of companies, you know, move their roadmap to integrate AI and it's like, well, it's, it's quasi useful, but it's really not. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you use Siri or not, but it, you know, once Siri breaks like a couple of times, like, dude, f- I'll just schedule I hate the Siri. thing. I hate it's Siri the worst, so much. Right? She's yeah. so annoying. It's terrible. And so you're just like, well, if you can't do it better than this, or like you try and schedule something and it didn't schedule. So now you got to go on the calendar app, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, that's that's my whole little diatribe on that. But I, I love your outlook on that. And I, I, I couldn't endorse it more where compounding and um, delayed gratification and all the finance people say the same thing or outside of like the, the people tr- really trying to make quick money or day trading or whatever, which is again, no judgment on that. But time in the market is going to be the, the biggest heuristic for success in your financial life. Like if you can just throw money in there and just just let it ride, which which I did not. I, I took I, I exited everything during the SVB stuff, and then um, I came back in the market into Apple, and that's where I'm just kind of holding now. But uh, that's beautiful, man. I absolutely love it. What would you say? Because how old are you now? You're you're 20s, yeah. 24, yeah. 20. Oh my god, you're a baby. I didn't know you're so young. Jeez, you got the world by the balls. Here's the thing, though, about that. Like, I thought I would be so much further ahead than I'm at now. Like it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So based on like the first few years momentum of that first company, the e-com brand, I was like, oh, shit, like this is, this is going to be easy. We're just going to compound. We're going to be a hundred million dollar company by the time I'm 25. Like the like expectations of where I'm at now versus where we start, like, it's just, it's just interesting how life takes you on the ups and downs. I mean, like, it's just, it's just so interesting. And then we can dive more into just kind of the, like the, the quote that, what is it? Um, comparison is a thief of all joy. I believe that internally, but at the same time, I struggle the most with just comparing myself to other people. And that goalpost is always, always moving. So I thought I would be one thing at 17 and now 24, I'm like, I'm so far behind. I'm looking at the Hormoses and these guys that were absolutely crushing it. And it's it's a constantly moving goalpost. And that's something that I'm trying to figure out internally. And it's that juxtaposition of wanting to build something massive, realizing it's going to take a lot of time, but also wanting it right now. And that completely just contradicts the whole delayed gratification. It's just, there's just a, it's just a, like the only word for it is just a cluster. And just trying to figure that out, navigate that, but definitely the expectations of where I'm at now versus where I thought I would be like, there's not, it has not aligned. So that's a very interesting thing I've been trying to wrestle with internally as well. It's just been a journey for sure. Yeah, dude, I love that. And I think that that's, that's really a lot of high performers and it's, it's a challenge. And I think that's why focus in kind of leading goals versus lagging goals are so important because I I have the same thing, man. And it's for me, I've found that again, setting those leading goals of things I can actually control and action against versus like, dude, I want $10 million in the bank account. Like, okay, yes, I do want that, but that's going to be a lagging goal. And it's going to be a function of me doing these things that I can actually control, publish newsletters, you know, 
interact with people on Twitter, things of that nature that are in, like I can actually do it. Cause if not, it becomes overwhelming and it's so easy to slip into despair or like the, oh man, this is me or, you know, woe is me kind of stuff. The world's against me, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I will say though, I think a couple things here. One, I'm, I'm rereading The Alchemist. Great book if you guys haven't read it. it it's, it's a little hippy dippy, but it absolutely lands for me. Not to interrupt, but side note on that, when I first read that book, I thought it was the dumbest book ever. <laughs> yeah. I, so 100% totally agree. Like I think, so I think a couple things about books is like, because I, I was actually like, uh, I, I'm probably going to get raked for this, but I was like a big Atlas Shrugged guy. And like Anne Rand is has her own, you know, issues and stuff like that. But I think sometimes there's just like the right book at the right time, like getting that information. I just really needed that that Atlas Shrug stuff and it really shaped a lot of the again there, there's obviously some you know complexities to that book but um anyways the too long didn't read going back to the alchemist was once you really commit to something and burn the boats and go after it with all your heart and soul i really believe the universe starts to conspire with you to help you and i think things get easier and it the, the challenge is and it kind of goes back to that compounding curve right of like it's not a linear progression like life is usually step functions where you're getting these things and you have to make it to that next step function i think a lot of people don't succeed for two reasons one they don't knock on the door of the universe long enough they quit too early and then two they're not prepared when the universe does answer. And so that was something that helped me because in my 20s, I had the same kind of despair of like, dude, why am I not a millionaire yet? I'm so smart. I can do all these things. Why are all these other people more successful than me? Blah, blah, blah. And then I just basically discarded all that. I was like, hey, man, what are skills that can make money that I'm good at, that I'm passionate about? Because that's another thing. I think skills are built from uh, essentially a flywheel. You like it and you're somewhat good at it already. And because you're somewhat good at it already and you like it, you do it, you do it, you get some sort of accolade or you ship something which gives you more motivation to do the thing again and get better at it. And you have this really nice flywheel that starts up. So I, I think, uh, yeah, man, it, keep hammering. It happens slower than you think and faster than you think. Kind of the old the old bankruptcy uh, quote there. But um, you're crushing it, dude. For 24, you are, uh, I did not, you know, you're so young. You got the world by the balls, man. It's, it's incredible. Appreciate it. I'm not going to be able to fit out of my room with the size of my head just inflating. Let's go. This is a little, little, little <laughs> back slapping here for you folks. <laughs> Let's do one more question for the main segment, and then let's get uh, nerdy on some community and some D2C stuff. Let's do it. What's the nicest thing someone has done for you? I think the nicest thing anyone's done for me, it's actually been pretty recent, but my uncle has recently taken me under his wing in a pretty pretty solid way. He was um, in banking. He made a lot of money in banking and kind of went up to the ranks there, and then recently through private equity, like built a built a solid company, exited that. So now he's been really mentoring me in a lot of directions. And and it was interesting because he's like, I don't know, six two, six three. When I was younger, I was like, I don't know, three feet tall. And looking up to him, he was this loud, scary guy. And I was like, well, this guy is terrifying. And I didn't really have a solid relationship with him until recently. He's my godfather, but I never had a solid relationship until recently where he invited me down for a conference in Miami last year. And we were down there and I really got a chance to just finally sit and talk to him. Like, I think I was old enough to kind of understand and relate and understand that he's not just my uncle. He's an actual person. He has his own life story. So I just had a chance to talk to him, connect. And it was it was amazing. Like That's the thing. I think as you get older with family, if you actually sit, get a chance to sit down and talk to either your siblings and or your aunts and uncles or your grandparents, like they, they all have their own stories. They're all people at the end of the day. They're not these mythical figures. And I really got a chance to talk to him. And there were just like a lot of parallels with like how I thought about the world, how he thought about the world, what he wanted when he was in his 20s, what I wanted when I'm in my 20s. And we really, it was just a really unique experience. And since then we've had every, every two weeks we have a call, we check in and it's just, I get a chance. Like he's been, he's really become a mentor for me where I get to talk to him about, Hey, what do you think of this? This is what I'm working on. He's helped me navigate a lot of situations and he didn't have to do that. He could have just hung out in Miami and just kind of done, did what he's doing. Like he's a, he's a VC, he's investing, he's an angel investor. He's doing all these different things in Miami. And just the fact that he'd take me under his wing in that way and just kind of help me like that has just been unbelievable. And I'm super appreciative of that. And yeah, that's, I think that's been the nicest thing anyone's done for me. Like that's been, that's been amazing. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I've had the same kind of thing with my father as well, where once you kind of graduate from, you know, you'll always be like their son kind of stuff, but you can start talking man to man and stuff and you hear these mm -hmm. just crazy wacky stories because my dad immigrant dad like <laughs> super hard on me if you're not first you're last kind of 
like very excellence driven, perfection driven kind of thing. Um, and now it's really interesting to connect. And I, I also think too, timing's so huge, man. Like the, the teacher will appear when the student's ready kind of shit. So that's beautiful, man. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for tuning into the Triple Well Network. This is brought to you by the Founders Dash, our new forever free plan. You can get all of the awesomeness of, or most of the awesomeness of Triple Well. So you're going to get a, a 12 month look back. You're going to get net profit. You're going to get access to the iOS and Android apps. So you can have all your metrics in real time anywhere you want. All you got to do is go to triplewell.com slash Founders Dash and install the app today and get ready to ride the lightning. Enjoy the show. Value add segment. This is why the people bought the ticket, Philip. Let's go. Um, okay, first, tell us about Workspace 6 for people that don't know, and then let's go into how you've been able to build this this rocket ship that is essentially the, the party of the D2C community. I mean, it's, it's, it's the top D2C community, in my opinion. So for people that don't know, give us the elevator pitch. Yeah, so Workspace 6 is the, the fastest growing community for private community for seven, eight, nine-figure e-commerce operators. And it started as a community in now it's becoming the, the the master plan, the plan for world domination is really to become a, an e-commerce media company. And we want to leverage the, the community that we have to go and bat for our merchants, whether that be getting exclusive SaaS discounts, getting a meta rep from, from Meta or Facebook to help with ad accounts. We have um, the one a high level uh, contact at Shopify in case stores get banned. So we really want to leverage the power of community to finally level the playing field, at least for the e-commerce merchants. Because at least for me, having Having operated an e-commerce brand for seven years, I feel like I've gotten fucked over a lot of times by either bad providers or bad agencies or whatnot. And there's never really any recourse for any of the actions if, if you did get kind of screwed over. So that's kind of one of our core ethos. Ethos? I don't know. I don't know. But that's one of the core things that we believe is we really want to level the playing field and, and go and bat for our merchants and figure out ways to, I don't know, just make it more... Because as, as an e-commerce merchant, you're you're everyone is trying to take something from you. And... Like it's it's so interesting. So so for example, um, my co-founder was one of the the early users of of, of Clavio, so much so that they had like a customer profile of him. It's like, hey, this is uh, this is Sam, and he's our, our user persona, blah da da da. And they gave him like a lifetime discount. And then Clavio went to become a ten billion dollar company where he's still running his his ecom brand. And now they've Clavio has like taken away his personal discount or his lifetime discount. So his lifetime discount wasn't even lifetime. And they built it off of the back of kind of his insights, his brand, his that sort of thing. But he had no benefit, no upside. So that's one of the things ideally we'd like to explore as well is maybe like a syndicate of e-commerce merchants where we can plug them into SaaS companies and get a piece of that SaaS company spread it across the e-commerce merchants. There's just so many things that you can do when you have community and, and you can really just leverage the, the collective power. I don't know if that's an elevator pitch, but that's kind of generally the the master plan is to build this giant media company where we can pass so much value back to the merchants that are part of kind of this core that we're building so that's the that's the view of workspace six i'm sold i'll take two um no <laughs> I, I i love it how did you like start it out or like what what did you, how did you get to such critical mass so so soon because one of the challenges with communities I, I like to analogize communities to parties and the number one thing you ask when you're invited to a party is who's coming or who's there right and so it's just like how, how did you get to such a critical mass? Did you have like certain keystone users that you're like, hey, if we can get these people involved, then these other people will follow? Were you just great at being able to pitch everybody? Like, I, I find community building to be one of the most challenging slash one of the most fulfilling things that you can do when you do do it right. So what was your like strategy starting from ground zero? Yeah, I, to be honest, there was no strategy. Like <laughs> Sam and I, yeah. And that's just like the, the truth it. of it. And yeah, it, it did not start out as this master plan to build this community. So Sam and I were actually working on a Shopify app at the time, and we actually launched it. It, it did not do well, but we we were that's what we were working on. That's how that's kind of how we met. And during that time frame when we were developing this app, we were I think one of the SaaS companies made an update. And he kind of had a bunch of his friends messaging him and they were just like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And he was like, this is too much to deal with. I don't want to deal with this. And he's like, hey, let's just make a Slack channel, put everyone in there. They just all happened to be seven, eight, nine figure merchants. And then from there, it just kind of grew from grew, 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 grew. And then we went on Twitter, made a post saying, hey, we have uh, X amount of founders in our group. Do you want to join? That just blew up. 
three, 400 applications circuit were like, there's something here. So then, then we just like pivoted from the, the Shopify app, kind of shut that down. And we're like, Hey, let's just build this community and kind of scale that and go from there. And yeah, it's just been, it's just been Twitter. It's been organic. It's been word of mouth. Like there's, there's no master plan to build a community. All this kind of just like happened. I, and I'm kind of going back to what you were saying. When opportunity knocks on your door, are you ready? I think Sam and I were in a very unique position with our brands. Like I'd been operating much for seven years. He'd been operating his various brands for 10 years. Like we knew merchants, we knew the problems. Like this was an itch we were trying to solve for ourselves. And it just kind of happened. Like, and that's what's so frustrating when people ask me like, oh, how do I start a business? How do I do this? Like a lot of it is luck. I mean, you have to be prepared, but I can't understate that like luck I can't say that luck doesn't play an element in the game, right? And I think, I, I truly believe that the more at-bats you take, the luckier you get, but you still need to have that element of luck involved. And I think we got, we timed it right with the, the community and, and just people were receptive to it. And we are also the right founders to be the operators of this. And then that's kind of become its own thing. And it's just taken on a life of its own. Now it's becoming, we have our, our media network and we have a, we can, we can dive more into it, but it's just become like a whole thing that just sprouted from people asking Sam, essentially, what do you think of this software update that just happened? So it's funny what happens when you we throw it backwards, but um, no master that's, plan. <laughs> that's so cool, man. Yeah, the, the old jobs line, right? You can only connect the dots backwards, not forwards. And it's so awesome. And I think what's great too is that, uh, small digression, I totally agree with you on luck and timing. I think those are candidly the two biggest inputs on the success of a company um, or endeavor or what have you. And the challenge is it's hard to control those. And so it goes back to those leading goals of like, hey, if I can just do this, 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 and then, you know, eventually sometimes there's a bluebird that flies into the window and then the ability to close that window, I think is is really where the rubber meets the road. Because I think most people, if you are grinding, you're going to get one to three like really big opportunities in your lifetime. I think just by, by the, the law of large numbers, it's going to come up to you. And so what you do with those, I think is really important. And um, I think it's been just really cool to see you guys not only grow so fast, but one of the challenges with growing a community as fast as you are is how do you keep people feeling special? How do you keep the exclusivity of it? How do, and I thought you guys have just balanced just such a masterful, like it is the place to be. Um, and if you're not there yet, it's aspirational. Be like, dude, I really want to crack X or Y or Z numbers and then I can apply. And I think that's something that you guys have really um, balanced incredibly well. Appreciate it. I, touch, touch on that real quick. It's, it's so interesting because I also think there's like you will like there are are a certain amount of opportunities that you quote unquote get lucky with like the right opportunity arises you're in the right position but another huge realization that i had is not all opportunities are created alike so for example i definitely it's funny so i started my e-commerce company at 17 and it had a cap i think as far as like as big as it can get it was a very niche opportunity it had a certain size but I wasn't able to replicate that. I tried other business. I tried to start other e-commerce businesses. I tried to start a toothbrush company. Um, actually, the wheels on my chair are made of rollerblade wheels. So that was another company that I was trying to start. That's cool. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's great. Like I can slide around. It doesn't scratch up the floors. And this was back in like 2016, 2017. But like I tried all these different things after I started this first company. And none of those other ones worked. So it's interesting. that that That's kind of touching on that point of... of I had more knowledge, more resources, more everything, but I still wasn't able to make those work. Like that was very interesting. But at the same time, like this first company that I started, it had a cap potential. So kind of touching back way back on the longevity or like trying to pursue an idea for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't think all ideas can necessarily be pursued for that long or should be. Like I think you, if you come across that idea or you come across that business that has the potential to, if it, if it has the, I guess the TAM, to be something massive and that's what you want to build then you devote your life to it but if the total tam is maybe 10 million 15 million i mean maybe that's what you want out of life but if you want to build something special but you're in the wrong vehicle to get there even if you got lucky to get that idea or like you the right timing hit for that idea and you built something special like it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the massive company or something that is a vehicle that can get you to the moon if that's if the moon is where you're trying to go. I don't know if that makes sense, but that was a big realization I had with my e-commerce company as I'm trying as as that chapter is kind of winding down. Um, we're in the process of an exit on that one, but it's just it's just interesting how things align. And also touching on that again, like 
realizing if you're the right operator or the not or the wrong operator. Like I'm not the right operator for this first e-commerce brand. And it took me seven years to realize that. Whereas the the acquirers right now, like they're gonna crush it. Like we have the superstructure in place. Like they're gonna do so well with this brand. Whereas I was not the right operator for it. Whereas with Workspace Six, like I feel like everything is aligned and this is the company that I was meant to build. And it's the vehicle that I think I can drive for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't know if any of that made sense, but that's kind of some of my, my realizations that I've had through some introspection pretty recently. No, it absolutely landed for me. And I think you're absolutely right there. And I, the, the, there's a certain aspect of not only like potentiality of like, okay, cool. What's the like potential of this company? How do you get there? And it's, it's hard to see it until you kind of get in it and then you can start to palpitate the elephant like the blind man. But I, I think the, the more important thing is there has to be, and again, not, not to hammer the al- alchemist too much, but like, if you don't have that big hairy dream that is like impossible to get to that's burning in your soul for that company, I think it's really challenging to get that company to where it needs to go. Because one of the things that, so I read tons of business memoirs, like that's kind of my toxic trait. I love it. And the number one plumb line through all of these great entrepreneurs isn't intelligence, isn't luck, isn't timing. Like luck and timing, yes, are helpful, but it's perseverance. Like so many of these companies have pivoted from this to that, like uh, Figma, dude, Figma started as a drone company. And then they have this massive X it. Yeah, it's insane, right? And you're just like, that. what is happening? So there's all these <laughs> crazy things where if you don't have that unerring belief of I'm going to burn the ships and like, we're going to figure out how to make this work. Because if you actually understood the probability of your business succeeding, you would never start. It, it, it would be a rationally wrong decision because you're like, dude, there's no, it, it's like buying the lottery, right? And so I think that's one thing that once you do find that, you know, there, there's like product market fit. I think there's almost like business founder fit of like, okay, cool. Like this is what I was put on this earth to do. And that's not to say again, that that can't change. But when you're in the war zone, you have to have that belief if you're in leadership or if you're running the company. Because if not, things there, there's always something and I can tell you, especially just experiencing like a hyper growth company, that fastest growing Shopify app, like just craziness. There's literally always something and you're always going to want to quit and there's always going to be something. And so you have to have that beliefs almost at the soul level that this will succeed. And if you don't, you either won't succeed or you won't realize the actual potential of that company. And so I think that's all just very, very spot on. And it's, I think, great advice to founders, up and comers that Dude, it, it's it's never easy and it's never the ability to have that belief transforms like challenges into opportunities. And you can really start to reframe the awesomeness of like, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. And it just helps out so much when you have that almost like positive spin because, hey, yeah, even though we're not where we need to be, like having that, that uh, again, unerring belief, I think is something that is absolutely necessary um, for things at the beginning, because if not, it, it's so fragile right? Like if you don't have that belief to will it into existence, it just kind of goes away like a puff of smoke. So I, I, I think it, I, know, I know we've kind of went a little hippy dippy, but I think it's so important because the <laughs> the psyche is so strong, man. Like you have to be able to, to have that when you're in that. So uh, no, I love it. Okay. A couple other questions. If you could spend $1 million on uh, workspace six right now, how would you deploy the capital? It's funny because we are, our, uh, our ad account was actually just approved for for like higher spend limits so we would just put that money into growing our, our newsletter honestly it says uh it's a pretty pretty simple business but it's it's uh it's effective so we would we would put we would just and that's, that's honestly our strategy right now so as as bootstrap founders sam and myself like we we joke all the time that we're just professionals at not making money like we just <laughs> we just like our, our our one of our core values is just we don't make money so <laughs> we're just comfortable <laughs> working ungodly amounts of hours and then just reinvesting everything back into our companies. And that's essentially our strategy is just all the money that comes in, just reinvest it into either our own ad network that we're kind of building out or putting it into the the Facebook ads or just whatever it is to just get more distribution and build up the newsletter, build up our media assets, build up our blog, our content, like just all the stuff that we're building, just put it back in, just let it grow, let it grow. Cause we don't have super high inflated lifestyles. We don't have a lot of lifestyle inflation let's just let it run let it run let it run let it run 20 years later let's put our heads up and see kind of where we're at so yeah i would just more more reinvestment into into ads into growth into newsletter into just kind of all the different things we're working on so it's that bootstrap founder mindset the bootstrap slash immigrant founder mindset (laughs) let's go i love it 
Um, how did your guys' event stuff go? You're doing events for a little while, right? Like kind of, or not hosting the events, but doing kind of some, some matchmaking stuff. I thought that was really interesting. And I saw uh, like uh, Tenzo, Steve over at Tenzo. There was a lot of really happy um, customers on the back end of that. Is that still kind of a focus for you guys or wh- what's what's going on there? Because the, I'm, I'm super bullish on the event space. I think it's absolutely, especially in the SaaS space in specific. I just like after the two biggest mistakes I made at Triple Whale in terms of capital deployment was PR is an absolute waste of money, or, or at least for our business, it was a waste of money and uh paid media was really not necessary like i wish we would have deployed that capital in other ways because people just especially at our price point people just don't buy SaaS products from ads they they just don't like maybe something like shout out zach murray like four play that's at like that kind of 50 100 a month price point where it's it's a bit like an impulse purchase if you will SaaS. like we are not an impulse purchase and dinners communities events things like that like in real life stuff is in my opinion where like text messages dinner word of mouth is really where um, people buy kind of higher ticket SaaS stuff. So any any thoughts on events or give us some, some color on that? Yeah, I think it's so interesting because a lot of, at least when I was rising to the ranks, it was all about being online, direct to consumer, minimizing just your, your, your in-world footprint. So like maximizing the bits versus maximizing for atoms. And it's kind of flipped, like people crave connection. People want to be in person. People want to interact. Like online communities are great, but you need to bridge the gap. You need to meet people face to face. You need to talk to people, interact. And that has been literally what's allowed humanity to, to become the most dominant species is how we interact with each other, how we collaborate, how we work together. And it really hasn't been until recently when the invent the inventation of the invention of the internet that we're now online more, we're interacting less. Like people crave communities and being in person and talking to each other. And that's kind of one of the things that we want to facilitate more is how can we allow for more merchants to have different like, okay, if you're in LA, you have a you have a group going on or just different segmentations and, and coming in person. It's just it's just a different vibe. Honestly, like I feel like my best connections and relationships, I mean, we were, we were texting about this, but um, like, first off, events are great for the initial connection and meeting people. But like where I feel like my strongest relationships come from are when I'm doing activities with people. And, and generally, I don't know. It's so I have I have this this weird perversion of just I'm obsessed with the off season in football when I was in high school, where we were just doing suicides and we were doing all these just like crazy shit on a Saturday morning or like a, a, a Monday morning where everyone was just suffering together and you're all in pain and you're all just wanting to quit. But there's just like this group camaraderie. And I have some of my best memories from that. Also, I, I, I recently ran the Austin Marathon and in the very beginning, there's 20,000 people all kind of lined up across Congress. You can like, as far as the eye can see, you can, you can see people and you just, there's this, this energy that you can't get anywhere else. It's just absolutely electric. And there's just something about being in person, being around crowds and meeting people and interacting that like, that is, I think the, the juice of life. And, and that's where the best business connections are made. The best friendships are made. And so that's kind of one of the things we're working on is, is we want to connect people online through Workspace 6, but we also want to bridge that gap bring that in person and whether that be dinners or I know we were talking about potentially the DTC running crew in Austin. So yeah, maybe that's, let's go <laughs> maybe that's <stay> tuned. <laughs> so just all these kind of stuff, like there's, there's opportunity, I think, to just connect people in informal ways that don't always have to be just, Oh, formal. Here's a name tag. Like, Oh, I'm so-and-so just informal ways to meet people, to connect, to just interact. And yeah, that's just kind of one of the things that I'm super, super bullish on is, is people interacting and, and communicating and doing, things in person yeah i mean so much so much wisdom there i they're so really good friends with nick shackelford and he ran geek out for i think almost seven years and it took them almost five five and a half years to realize that most of the business was actually done not at the networking but to your point either at the activity or in the in-between moments when it's not like this like you know you're either on the bus on the way to go see the everglades or you're like there is this all the and so one of the things that they did in the latter years that really landed was they would build in these kind of these 
areas to have those moments so you don't have that um, you know, you're just sitting around having a drink at a bar or whatever, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but uh, I think you're, you're spot on with activities, build this. And there's, there's also two that like, I was really in a CrossFit for a little while and that, that shared suffering is something that gets imprinted on you. I think it, it's really, uh, it, it, it's a, like a ugly, beautiful thing, right? Like in the moment it's horrible, but like going through, and I think that was one of the things that was so interesting for me for CrossFit because I was an athlete my whole life and actually do way better. Like I'm really lazy. And so I do really well with competition. I don't like to lose. And so having that little competitive vector, but in a friendly way, like you're not trying to people over, but it's uh, uh, so much wisdom there. And I I couldn't be more bullish on events. And what I love about what you guys are doing is um, being able to kind of link up the economics with the the people because that's one of the bigger challenges. Events are expensive and they're hard to do. And so what just being able to say, hey, here's a bunch of money, get a bunch of people at my thing, tell me how much I pay, I think is is such an interesting take because um I think so many people would benefit from events, especially events done well. So kudos to you guys there. How do you guys, I guess, think about like acquisition or retention? Like, cause with the community you have, you have churn is an issue. And then how do you, how do you think of acquisition? Is it more so through that, that content mechanism, getting people in, bought in and then, uh, upgrading them? Is it that word of mouth? Like what, what do you guys use in terms of, or strategy for your acquisition vehicles? Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because there's a couple different, I guess, facets of the business. So we have our, our newsletter, which has its one method of acquisition. We have our community, which has another mechanism entirely. And then we have our media network, which is entirely different altogether. And I think the main thing that we want to be cognizant of for the community is you can't, maybe can't isn't the right word, but it we don't want to blitz scale the community. We don't want 10,000 members in there. Because then you lose the magic of the connection and people are more guarded. And you like when you see 70 new faces, you're just kind of like, who are these people? Like my guard is kind of up. But if you see the same people over and over and over again, you're you're kind of like you build trust each message at a time, you build interaction, you've seen a person at an event, like it kind of builds on itself. So as far as the community is concerned, like we're not super worried about massively scaling. We're just kind of letting organic take over as a friend refers a friend. We we vet everyone to make sure they're seven-figure operator and all these different criteria that we're like every application we're reviewing, we we reject the majority. We have maybe we have about 650 members in our community right now, aggregate of 10 billion in revenue. So like it's a solid core. And we're not, we're at no rush to just like grow it and scale it and just like this is the business, right? Like it's a piece of what we're doing. It's a very valuable core, but it's not like the main thing that we're doing. It's it's the core of it, but we're building so much around it such that we don't have to focus on making the community grow, 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 grow. And we just have to focus on making the community as engaged as as just great and as much value provided to the user as possible. Whereas the newsletter side of things, we're working more on like the our, our roots, which are direct response and and more of those tactics for just growing. Because that's, that's just like you, you get a subscriber for X, you have a lifetime value of that subscriber for Y, you can sell ad space in that, just scale that up. And and then also the ad network, we have a bunch of, we, we have about 300 SaaS partners in there. We, we connect them to add opportunities within our community. So for example, if there's influences in our community that want to sell ad space, we're the facilitator, we can connect them to that. There's a lot we're building out on that. So there's just like, there's all these different things that we're building around. But the core at the end of the day is the community. It's our merchants. We want to figure out how to provide as much value back to them as possible. And we're not really worried about like crazy monetization or we're not really worried about like crazy growth. That's just growing over time, organic word of mouth, people just referring each other. And then on the outside of that ring, we have our other methods of acquisition and growth and all that sort of thing. So that's, that's kind of how we view it is communities. I think the best communities are grown more organically. And when you put these like monetary constraints on trying to like just shove people through, it doesn't have the same effect or feel as if it's just kind of like a fun party that people are like, you refer a friend to the party and then they join. It's a great take. No notes, no notes. 24 and building the empire. This man is fucking Appreciate killing it. me. Killing me. Uh, Philip, you ready for some rapid fire? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. Austin, overrated or underrated? Uh, honestly, underrated. I, I fucking love it here. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if these are, these questions are supposed to be elaborated upon, but I'm about to. So, I mean, I, I love just 
how active everybody is. Like fitness is such an important part of my lifestyle. So for example, I have a, I have a track group on Monday, jujitsu on Tuesday, volleyball on Wednesday, lifting, jujitsu. Like I just have activities all the time. Sunday it's poker day. I mean, there's, there's people doing things all the time. And I now live right on the lake, so I can just drop down and go for a run. I, I did a, I don't know, like yesterday or two days ago, it was like 104. I was like, you know what? I, I want to get on my Goggins. It's like, who's going who's gonna to carry the loss, right? So I just I just dropped down and ran five miles at 104. It was just, it was insane. But there were other people out there running with me. And I'm like, this is why I love this city. Because you would think that at 104 degrees, 100, it feels like 107, 108. You think there'd be nobody there. They were, there were people running. It was like, this is amazing. I love austin that's that's all i gotta say <laughs> underrated no I, I couldn't couldn't agree more the the hike and bike fucks it's one of it's it's such a and it's weird because there's certain aspects where you feel like you're not even in the city and you're like in downtown proper it's it's fantastic uh building in public overrated underrated overrated overrated i have so many thoughts on this um so so some background Back in 2020, I actually scaled a TikTok account, personal TikTok account to about 145,000 followers. And that was such a draining experience. It took away the focus of the business. One of the big mistakes that I made in my company took away focus from what I was building. I personally didn't get much out of it. It might've been the wrong medium, but just at least for kind of what I was working on, it just did not, it did not mesh. Yeah, it, it was a distraction. It really, it really, really was. I think a lot of times, unless you're in certain industries, maybe it makes sense. But people like share their numbers and they're sharing like their P and L, like they're sharing all this stuff. And I'm like, there, there are people coming behind you. They're copying you. Like, and maybe that's not the strongest argument, but I think you can maybe share information or share insights without having to like completely reveal everything. So I think having a public persona or profile is valuable, but not to the level of of like this is everything I'm doing, and that's like your focus. Your focus is on creating content. I think. You should and also side note i think like building a solid company makes it so much easier to build a personal profile later on versus if you're trying to build your company while building a personal profile and being this influencer type before you have anything to influence on it's just it's just whole this whole perversion this whole cycle and i think it's way 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 overrated i think most people would be more benefited building something solid and then maybe sharing their experience. I think I would like to have a, a more public persona at some point, but right now I, 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 I think the just focus on the community, focus on building something special and then building, but yeah, overrated. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm curious. No, I, I basically echo what you say. I think one, it's a loss of focus. Two, there's a certain aspect of, um, I think a lot of, it's almost like magic where if I did a magic trick for you, you're like, oh my God, that's insane. And then I explain the magic trick. You're like, oh, that's not that impressive. And so you get into the latter part of when you build in public is not only a distraction, but it's also uh, value degenerative to the brand because there's some things that are easy, but they're easy because you put in so much work to find that insight. And I don't know if you necessarily need to divulge that. I think your business should be about value generation, creating value for the user. And then I do think there is some value to if you have like a charismatic CEO, like AJ is an absolutely super fun guy in person. And I think if that, if you have that personality type, I think it can be helpful to have like a, a persona or like Harley, for example, at Shopify. Like I think it's great to have a face to, you know, associate with the brand. But I think that's totally different than building in public. When people are posting their numbers and stuff like that, it just, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm personally not into it. And I've yet to see it actually be value additive to a business. Like it, it, it just either empowers competitors, takes focus away from the business. Business and it's uh, yeah so anyways too long didn't read i'm totally with you uh running overrated underrated <sighs> overrated but i haven't decided if i like it or not so i've done a 50k ultra marathon and i did the austin marathon last uh this year without training i don't know if i like it yet i've done a lot of running i think it's valuable but bro i don't know this is a tough one this is a tough one i don't know <laughs> i used to be uh, uh, a pretty prolific runner and i hate running <laughs> um x or formerly known as twitter overrated underrated underrated dude that it's the the connections that come from there are, are very very valuable unbelievably valuable even even with a, a small following i mean you can message any like the dtc niche is pretty small so you don't need a lot of followers to to slide into someone's dm get a response you like someone's tweet they'll see it i mean it's unlocked a lot of doors and that i think is the platform if you're going to build any social media following twitter like that's that's or x i'm sorry x that's where you go 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, TikTok, overrated, underrated? Overrated. I have 145,000 followers and doesn't do anything. That, w- when we we hit some for triple, we had a, some some pretty decent success, like videos over two, three million views kind of stuff. Zero business impact. We actually ended up spinning it down because it's like, this is great at getting attention, but horrible at getting any sort of business result or intention from that. If you could collab with anyone at Workspace 6, who would it be? Could collab with anyone at Workspace 6? God, there's so many, there's so many options. I think honestly, it'd be cool to do something with Shopify. Ooh, like that, I, like I think, that. I think there's I think there's some synergies there where where we could kind of work on that. So maybe someone for Shopify is listening to this pod. Like, let's make it happen. We're interested. Harley, we want you at Workspace Six. Yes, sir. If you could instantly master any skill, what would it be? I think sales. Interesting. Because I don't think everyone always says you need you need sales. And I think to an extent, like I know how to sell nothing, nothing formal, but I mean, if I get excited about something, it's decently easy for me to convince someone on something, but like watching a masterful salesman where they don't even feel like they're selling and they're just talking to you and they don't feel slimy and they don't like overuse your name. So it's like, Hey, Philip, what do you think of that? Is Philip? Like, shut up. Like, I know what you're doing. I've read rich. Uh, I've read like how to win friends and influence people. Like shut the fuck up. But like knowing how to sell and, and convey your ideas and all these things like that would be, if you could just be masterful at that, that would be, that would be insanity. That'd be very, very cool. Oh, I like that a lot. I, I think there is though a lot of wisdom to kind of uh, listening to the uh, acquired podcast on Nike. I've read Shoe Dog, and one of the stories in there was Phil Knight was actually Shoe Dog is top three book for me all time. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Um, and one of the things in there was uh, Phil Knight is like a terrible, terrible salesman. But like once he got the Tiger shoes, he could just go to track meets and just sling them. And it was one of those things of like when you have belief in a product, I think it's not necessarily selling as much as it's like I'm going to help this person's life and like there's this weird switch that flips and I think that's that's one of the the most important things there because I I do know some really really good salespeople and I don't know if I could ever do it because for me a lot of my sales acumen comes from the belief in the product but I I do agree that sales is uh such a great skill and there's that kind of old corny line of like everybody's a salesperson blah 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 and weirdly enough though a lot of the best marketers I know had some weird like sales jobs so I used to be like in retail I used to sell women's shoes at Nordstrom I used to work coach like I had all these really wacky things. And I think um, sales masteries, uh, that's, a, that's a great take. If you could witness any event in history, what would it be and why? If I could, so witness, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is important. If I could witness or actually participate in. Hey, both. If you're there, you can participate in too. Yeah. I would love to, like, you know, you like the, all the days of, like, I know, I know Robert Barron is kind of like a derogatory term, but like being in that time period of industrialization where you could like, become a titan of industry and build something like the Rockefellers, the Carnegie Mellon, like all these, all these people, that would be, that'd be fucking tight, man. Just like up there slugging it out, building some cool shit, like in the, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's just like an idealized time, at least for me, maybe not for others, but like that'd be tight, just building some cool shit, whether it be steel or oil or just something that's building America and building just this empire I mean, like those those people's that, that generational wealth is still flowing around today. Like hundred percent, hundred years later, two hundred years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that'd 100%. be sick. Or or like early to the dot com era. I think oh. I, I missed that because I was uh, I'm ninety eight, so I was two years old. Wasn't able to participate, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, time. we we got a little bit of it though, right? With some of the NFT stuff, there was some of the the very interesting. Um, endeavors that were very bubbly but no those are good picks those are good picks now the rockefellers carnegie's fords all that stuff it's it's pretty incredible to see like you know politics and craziness aside the the ability to build these i mean even with ford we're going out and actually buying the rubber forest stuff like that and the vertical integration incredible the i I read a i I listened to a um was it a a rockefeller i think it was like i don't know who wrote it but a a fake just isaac uh or a rockefeller Autobiography, biography, biography, okay. A Rockefeller biography. And like the crazy shit they did, like, holy fuck, man. <laughs> that was gnarly. <laughs> Very no rules. It was, uh, I, I was reading, I can't remember one of them, but there was like a standoff at the, uh, at one of their factories. And there was literally like a war where like the, the workers came with guns and then the people at the factory came. <laughs> like that's how they handled shit. It was, yeah, different times, different times. Um, favorite place to travel to and why? 
So I haven't actually traveled all that much. I went to I went backpacking in Greece last year. That was that was it was a very formative experience. I learned a lot about myself, but it was also a very stressful trip, I would say. So like the I think the style of travel you do is also very indicative of how you receive the place. So this was just very I didn't plan anything. I just booked a one way, flew out, and was just like the next I, I would be sitting in my Airbnb at, at like 1 a.m. and I was like, wait a minute. I need to be out of here tomorrow at nine. I, I just had to like book a flight, book a book a flight, or book a book a cruise, or not cruise, but like a a ferry somewhere. And it was, it was like gone. So that was that was it was very exciting, very just like live in the moment. But it was kind of stressful. Um, but yeah, I I, I still have to pick Greece because I was like that's the only, the only international country I've been to so far. That would break my brain. My I am so <laughs> not built for that. Like I I I, I can maybe I should try it because I'm so not built for it. But uh, everything I did in Europe was basically pre-planned and it was still super stressful. So I can't imagine just living by the cedar pants. Okay, Philip, one more and then we'll close out the pod. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who would it be? So you're sitting at the head of a four-person table. You have three seats to fill. Who's getting an invite from Philip? Yeah, so I think um, Elon for sure. I mean, that's kind of a no bro. These, these might be a little like stereotypical, but Elon, Jeff Bezos, Honestly, Zuck. I think Zuck would be a really cool dude to talk to, especially his new arc. The new Zuck arc has me super intrigued. BJJ, he's doing, he's fighting people. He's building an octagon in his backyard. He's smoking meats. Like he just seems like a bro. So I don't know. That guy seems, that'd be cool. That'd be, I think that would be a, a solid trio. I maybe get a free fight watching Zuck and Elon just battle exactly. Out, so yeah, and there's no and there's no way you're picking up the bill there. No, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> no, those three got a couple bucks to to throw around for the restaurants, but uh, now great picks, solid picks. I, to your point too, I've been really blown away with uh, Zuck. I think he's actually going to go down as one of the best CEOs ever. Where you know his little divergence with the. Uh, metaverse and then him being able to kind of lick his wounds and say hey fuck it, we're not going to do that anymore um we're going to focus on this and i mean the stock's been absolutely i'm kicking myself for not buying it last year it's it's absolutely screaming right now and pretty much no end in sight like it, it, I've, I've been really blown away by his ability to uh manage and shepherd that company in a way that and he's like two years old too you know what i mean this guy started and it's a great picks great picks what do you think what do you think of threads real quick threads versus x i totally missed on threads i was super bullish on threads. I thought it was such an interesting take. I thought Elon was doing a lot of really like not user friendly things to X. What I missed in my analysis was one can so so here's the T on thread. Supposedly that wasn't supposed to launch for another six to eight months. And then uh yeah, Zuck was like, oh, because he saw the rate limited. There was all these things that kind of paper cut it into like, hey, let's step on the juggler. So he ends up launching it. I think the challenge there is or I, the flaw in a lot of my analysis, because I was super bullish on it when it came out, was one, there's only a certain there's a finite amount of time for social media. And at this point, that's pretty much been absorbed. And so you ha it's it's kind of getting into it's way easier to go after non-consumption, people that aren't using anything and give them something than it is to change people's preferences and patterns. And so I don't know what threads would usurp, right? Like if you're already on Twitter and Instagram, like you're not really going to have to do threads as well, or if you're on TikTok. So that was a big miss for me. And candidly, just the platform wasn't that fun. Like they didn't have gifts. They didn't have all these things that, so I, but the too long didn't read. All that means is that they did a horrible job at getting creators like all social networks are, are two things one you have to have a bunch of people on there and then two you have to have a bunch of good content and so they have a bunch of people but the content isn't just really isn't that good and so i think where facebook or meta missed was there wasn't this huge incentivization to make creators like exclude like if you found all these incredible creators and like here's a million dollars uh only post on threads for six months like nuke all your other platforms you're only going to be able to get and get like exclusive contents or things like that and Nature. So uh, too long didn't read. I think it was a bust. And I think the launching soon seemed like a really good idea to me anyways. But I think it was probably better if they could have rounded up like a, a, a better instead of this blitz attack, have this really big uh, invasion of like, OK, cool, we're going to snag the top 100 creators. Here's here's 10 million dollars or 50 million dollars. Go spread this wealth around and make sure that these people only create content on threads. Use Instagram as kind of like a, an onboarding ramp to get people on the threads. And so, um, 
yeah, too long. Didn't read. I think it's, it's, I'm pretty bearish on it now. And I, I missed a lot on the, on my previous analysis. Cause I was very, I was a thread maxi. I thought it was a really interesting move from Zuck. Um, where do you land? Honestly, pretty similar. I was, I was hyped in the beginning. It felt like a land grab. So you got to get early. You got to maximize the engagement boosts you're getting, build your account and then nothing. And now no one's talking about it. I haven't logged in in two weeks and I'm back to Twitter. That's where all my friends are. That's where, and also the content was just very weird. Like, I, didn't, I don't want to learn about Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian. That's all I was seeing on threads. I was like, what the f- is this? Like, why am I here? Whereas my Twitter thread is already like optimized for what I'm looking for, what I want. It's all business stuff. Yeah. That was the main turnoff for me on threads. And then once everyone kind of left, I was okay, well, I'm out. So yeah. No, spot back on X. It's back on the X. Philip, how can people connect with you? How can they get more involved in Workspace Six? Uh, This time's yours, my friend. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at Philip Pages, P H I L I P, and then pages like pages in the book. And then as far as Workspace Six, our our URL is workspace6.io. We did not find the .com for that one. It's already taken. So yeah, that's that's where we're at. Philip Pages on Twitter, and then workspace6.io. Amazing. Uh, go sign up or at least try imply to Workspace 6. I can't vouch anymore for this community. It is really um, the top tier space. And what you guys are doing, building this kind of constellation of awesomeness around that community. And so there's all these little off ramps that you can get more value, whether it's, hey, I need to start a dinner or, hey, has anybody used this SaaS tool? I, I think it's absolutely brilliant, man. I think you're at the epicenter of um, the DTC world. And I think it's, it, it's just blown me away to see kind of not only the quality, but the, the velocity of which you guys are building is something that is, uh, really, I just marvel at it. So kudos to you there. Uh, what else? We, we we're tossing around some sort of DTC running group or something. There's a really strong DTC community. Are you, you know, you know, Kenny from uh, mentor pass. I follow him on Twitter. I think we met at the whaleys, but I was also very drunk. Yeah. <laughs> success at the whaleys um, he's actually in my building so there's there's we just have a ton of uh big dc contacts we got, contacts we got, like so Kenny, we got, we got tommy dennis yeah, dennis hegsad um there's uh one blade uh dean from heart and soil there, there's a lot of really awesome let's uh, get a crew going let's i'm down to run chris hall ecom cowboy he's two-time all-american one-time all-conference two-time uh national champion yeah he he played at texas during the glory years um so he's a really good I got to connect to any. He's, he's just awesome. But anyways, so yes, stay tuned if you're in the Austin area. We might have some some fun uh, Workspace 6 inspos um, or some spinoffs there. Um, and then what else? If you want to get more involved with Triple L, it's triplel.com. Um, we also just launched our Founders Dash. So if you want to ride the whale and give it a try without giving us any money, you can go to triplewell.com slash Founders Dash. You get an iPhone app. You get an Android app. You get all the things, real-time data, 12-month look back. So all the goodness there. And then we also have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can sign up right at triplewell.com slash whale mail. And then if you want to see Philip's wonderful man main, you can actually go over to youtube.com slash Triple well, where we post all of our podcasts if you prefer the video format over the audio. Philip, this is amazing, man. We got now that you're in the hood and I don't have to go to uh, South Dallas, we'll definitely uh, have to hang more. Dude, I know. Let's do it. I'm down. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Again, congrats to you and Sam for uh, all the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, keep hammering. And all the listeners, we really appreciate you. If you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, I would love you forever. Drop a review. And then also hit us up on the socials. If there's anything, any guests you like, any ways we can make the show better let us know this show is for you and to create value for you so thank you all and again philip thank you so much brother i'll I'll text you after this we'll connect some stuff offline but uh, i really appreciate this awesome awesome conversation eloquent responses and you're the man dude and i still can't believe you're so young unbelievable i love it taking on the world appreciate it brother (laughs) all right we'll see everybody on the flip that's another row eyes in the books bye-bye